Welcome to our ongoing series sponsored by Catholic Church Reform International. I'm your moderator, Rini Reed. Our guest today, back with us, is Father Thomas Reese, who was in Rome as a journalist throughout the entire Synod. Tom, it's good to have you back. Great to be with you again, Rini. Let's begin with what appears to be one of the most impactful decisions reached at the Synod. The bishops voted to recommend to the Pope that already married men be ordained to work in the most remote areas of the, of the Amazon. What kind of far-reaching impact do you sense this is going to have on the Universal Church? Well, the bishops uh, and the Amazon recognize that uh, lots of villages throughout the Amazon simply do not have the Eucharist or the sacraments available to them uh, on a regular basis. Some places would have the Eucharist once a year. Some, some in fact, had it less than once a year. Uh, and really, how can you have a Catholic church without the Eucharist and without the, uh, the sacraments? So the bishops recognizing this kind of uh, uh, Eucharistic desert, uh, Eucharistic famine uh, that was occurring in the Amazon uh, said, well, you know, we simply don't have enough men coming forward uh, who are willing to accept celibacy uh, in order to be a priest. Uh, but we do have lots of men who would be willing to be ordained priests if they could be married. In fact, they're already married. And so they come forward and say, you know, I would be happy to be the priest in my village and things like that. So the, the bishops are responding to this need for the Eucharist, uh, this need for the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of anointing, uh, which can only be done by a priest. And so they said, uh, you know, they recommended by over two thirds vote that the Pope uh, allow the ordination of you know, married men who are of a, you know, uh, outstanding virtue and solid family life uh, to be ordained uh, to serve in these remote places where the Eucharist is simply not available to people. Now, okay, what impact might that have on the Universal Church? Well, there are lots of places around the world where the Eucharist is not available. In fact, uh, uh, there are places in Africa. In fact, one statistic I saw said that 80% of Africans do not have the Eucharist available every Sunday uh, because of the shortage of priests. And uh, so, you know, Africa, Asia, even parts of the United States, we don't have the Eucharist every Sunday because there is not a priest that's able to do it. So uh, if you know, I think some people say, well, if this is good enough for the Amazon, what about the rest of the world? Well, I know even places in the Western world, Helmut Schuler in Austria has announced that his retirement in the next couple of years, but he said there will not be a priest to replace him. So he's preparing his parish and the parishioners to stand up and assume responsibility for some committed period of time, like five years, to really take charge to run the parish. So I, I think I think that this call for 
already married men to be priests is so much about bringing the Eucharist to people. Because if we don't have that, if we don't do this in remembrance of him, it seems that we've lost a very crucial part of our faith. Absolutely. I mean, Jesus at the Last Supper said, do this in memory of me, not uh, I want you all to be celibate priests. Uh, so uh, we know that for the first thousand years of the church's history, we had a married clergy, uh, po- you know, Pope uh, Peter, St. Peter, the first pope, uh, was obviously married because Jesus cured his mother-in-law. And tradition tells us that all of the first uh, 12 apostles were married except for John. Uh, so uh, this was the practice of the church. It's been the practice of the church in the Orthodox tradition. It's also been the practice of uh, the Eastern uh, churches that are in union with Rome, for example, the Ukrainian, the Byzantine, the uh, Maronites, those who are uh, who are from this Eastern tradition and, and been in union with Rome, they've, they've always had a married clergy. And most recently here in the United States, we have, in, the bishops in fact have accepted Lutheran and Anglican ministers who are married Uh, and want to join the Catholic Church. And they've been ordained to be, to act as married priests in the Catholic Church here in the United States. So there's all sorts of exceptions already to this rule of celibacy. Uh, And after all, it is only a rule, it's only a law, it's not dogma. Uh, And it's it's a law that can change. I think it's important that people understand that. I sense that Francis still has a regard or a respect for the sacredness of celibacy, and he's reluctant to touch that. But at the same time, it, as you said, it is church law that came into effect about the 11th century. It's not doctrine, and it definitely can be changed, and I suspect it will be changed. Well, I think also, Pope Francis, as a Jesuit, as a religious, knows the difference between being a religious priest who's a member of a community and a diocesan priest uh, who serves uh, under a bishop and does not live in a community. Uh, You know, the the Jesuits, Franciscans, Dominicans, we are going to continue to... uh, you know, live our vow of chastity. We're not getting married. We're not going to be accepting married men into the Jesuits. Uh, But diocesan priests is a whole different story. And I think Pope Francis recognizes that. Frankly, there are a number, there are lots of men in seminaries uh, who want to become priests and they see celibacy as the price they have to pay in order to be a priest. It's not that they feel called by God to be celibate. I mean, there are some who feel this call to be a celibate diocesan priest. And God bless them, and they do great work, and they can continue to do great work because this will continue to be uh, a path that people can choose. 
The question is, is it obligatory? Is it required of everyone who wants to be a diocesan priest? And that's what we mean by optional celibacy. We're not saying that every, uh, every priest has to be married before he's ordained. Uh, we're saying that this, that there is, it's now a choice. And if you feel called by God to live as a celibate priest, if you have that grace from God to do it, then wonderful, fine. Uh, but on the other hand, if you feel called by God to live in the married life uh, with a family and also uh, uh, feel called by God to be a priest, well, great also. And God bless you and you will do wonderful work that way. So I think it's important. Yeah, I mean, the bishops at the Synod like Pope Francis, we're very clear. They were not saying celibacy is bad. They're not saying uh, uh, that it, you know, we should get rid of it. They're, they're saying, yes, it, it can and should continue, but it's a question of, you know, for people who are called, some people are called to the married life, some people are called to <clears throat> a life of celibacy. But, you know, that's up to God. Uh, we can't, you know, the question is, can the church force it? I think it's not celibacy so much that is the concern as it is clericalism. I noticed at one point you reported that the bishops spoke of the importance of properly training these men, not just in theology, but you know, in the pastoral care of the people. And I think there was some, uh, some sub agenda there that they did not want to see these men suffer from the sin of clericalism. Absolutely. This is, this is really a major concern of the bishops and, and of myself, and frankly, also of women's groups, because we know for a fact that most of these uh, parishes, churches, villages, Catholic communities in the Amazon that do not have a priest, most of them are led by women today. Now, the last thing we want is a married man to show up and say, I'm in charge now, sit in the back of the church. Uh, that would be an absolute disaster. We have to continue to empower women to serve in the church. So these priests, well, both celibate priests and married priests need to be trained to work in teams, need to have a pastoral outlook, need to be taught that when they go into a community the first thing they have to do is listen not talk and you know and get to know their people and be sensitive to their needs and their concerns and to uh, be involved in dialogue and and what uh, pope francis rightly calls discernment uh that we are and Pope Francis talks about us being a synodal church, where we listen more than we talk, where we uh, pray and discern together as a community. Now, sometimes, you know, uh, somebody's got to make a decision. I mean, Pope Francis does that himself. But, you know, he, he makes a point of listening to people before he does it. Well, let's move on to talk about another key topic that came up at the Synod, the bishops voted to put the church strongly on the side of protecting the Amazon, the rainforest, and the indigenous people that are living there. 
but I know he met with a lot of resistance from the conservative faction. So it's one thing to say, we're gonna support them. We're on the side of protecting the environment, but exactly how did they discuss this being carried out? Well, it was interesting. Within the Senate, there was total consensus on this issue. There were no climate change deniers. There, the, the bishops accepted the science. They uh, were very concerned about global warming, the destruction of the rainforest. Uh, they were very concerned that if that destruction continues, we may reach the tipping point where the entire rainforest could die. And if that happens, you know, the planet is gonna die. So uh, they were really confronting these, this very important issue uh, of protecting the rainforest, protecting the water from being polluted by chemicals, by mercury, you know, from the mining, uh, from mining industries that use chemicals to purify their, their uh, 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 minerals and then dump the, the residue into the rivers and onto the land and just, you know, destroy it and, and are causing cancer among indigenous people. So the bishops, the bishops didn't have any real fights inside the Senate over the environment, nor did they have any fights over the protection of indigenous people. They saw their people being killed. They saw the, them being chased off their lands. They saw the ones that were in the city who had been chased off their lands. So, uh, I mean, we even had a woman at the Senate whose husband had been killed because he stood up for uh, indigenous rights. So uh, the bishops were united on this. Where the opposition came from was outside the Senate. I mean, the bishop, the, excuse me, the president of Brazil, you know, he wants to chop down more trees. He wants to mine more minerals. He wants to, you know, plunder the wealth of the Amazon. And he doesn't, he, he like Trump, doesn't care uh, about what it does to the environment or what it does in terms of global warming. You know, uh, this, and there are economic interests that are willing to do exactly the same thing. And, you know, they don't care about tomorrow. They're, all they care about is profits for their stockholders and the price of their stock uh, today. And uh, what the bishops are standing up for is future generations, the generations uh, that are gonna come, uh, you know, in, in, at the end of this century and beyond. And what kind of a world are we gonna leave for them? Uh, our, we are doing damage right now that it will take centuries, if not a millennia, to recover from. Uh, and, and we're just blindly moving ahead. And the bishops are saying, no, 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 we can't do that. And finally, you know, they're also saying that this is, this is not a problem that we can solve in the Amazon. Uh, because if the developed world if China, Japan, the United States, North America, and Europe continue uh, to consume uh, energy and products and, you know, that come from these mines, if they continue to consume them, well, the economic interests are going to go full speed ahead and continue to supply them. So it's up to us to change our lifestyle. 
Uh, otherwise, the rainforest is doomed, and so is our planet. I think it's difficult, Tom, for even the best of us to take to heart our part in contributing to the problems in the Amazon. We go about living our lives really unaware, uh, or maybe just not interested enough to be aware of the effect our lifestyle has on other parts of, of the world. Let's talk about what can you and I do? What change do we need to make to support a care and a concern for the environment, and in particular right now for the Amazon? Well, I, I confess, uh, I'm guilty uh, uh, as much as anybody else. Me too. I used, I used to make fun of my vegetarian friends. You know, I joke, well, don't vegetables have rights? Uh, you know, I, I used to make fun of them. Well, after watching, you know, listening to these bishops in the Amazon talk about how the rainforest is being cut down so for cattle grazing, uh, you know, you suddenly realize, you know, that hamburger came from somewhere. And uh, it, you know, and that hamburger has an ecological impact in terms of global warming and uh, everything else. And, you know, we are simply gonna have to stop eating so much meat. Yeah, that's, you know, that's uh, a beginning uh, of, of what we have to be concerned about. I think it would be great if the bishops in the United States, in fact, if the Pope uh, for the church around the world brought back meatless Fridays. You know, uh, <laughs> this is, I grew up with that tradition, you know, in the, in the 50s. And uh, I think we need to bring it back to, 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 you know, educate the people of God that the planet is dying. We're killing it. And I, re this is, I remember, this is Tom, when that change came in the 50s, my conservative, devout Roman Catholic grandmother said, this has been a mortal sin all my life. And she <laughs> said, if the Pope wants to eat meat on Friday, he can go right ahead. But I can't do it. I feel like I'm going to go to hell if I do it. <laughs> I know. My, uh, my parents were exactly the same thing. What was uh, even worse, my father was mad because uh, it was, uh, uh, I, I, you know, for, on fasting, I reached the age where I had to fast and the fasting rules went out. And he had reached the age when he was no longer bound by fasting rules and the fasting rules went out. He really thought he, <laughs> he got the bad end of the stick. Uh, yeah, I mean, there is that, but I think, this is, uh, this is a moment, uh, this is an educational moment. Uh, we've seen the impact of, of, of uh, Greta and young people who's, who are pointing out that this is, this is their future that is at stake and that we have to do something about. So, you know, there are things like that that we need to do. I, I also brought up at one of the press conferences the whole question of the use of gold and diamonds yes. uh, in liturgical ceremonies. You know, we've, we've had these rules about, oh, the chalice has to be made of gold and precious metals. And I've, I've seen them, I've celebrated with 
mass with these gold chalices that have diamonds, you know, decorations on them and all that. And they're, they're beautiful, they're works of art. On the other hand, where did they come from? Where did this gold come from? Where did these diamonds come from? And we know, you know, in the Amazon, how much damage gold mining is doing uh, to the rainforest. We know about how blood diamonds uh, in Africa are killed, you know, that people are killed uh, and enslaved uh, in order to produce these blood diamonds. Now, you know, when the bride walks in, you know, to a wedding and with a diamond on her ring, uh, you know, and receives a diamond ring in a sacramental ceremony, I think we ought to make sure that that diamond doesn't have blood on it. Uh, and I think we ought to make sure that the gold and rings also isn't coming from uh, places, uh, you know, where damage is, is being done. I think we have to raise, you know, if we want to educate the Catholic community, these are, they're small gestures. There's, I admit it, they're symbolic gestures, but they will get people's attention and get people talking about how are we going to save the environment? These are just incredibly small steps, but I think they will wake us. They're the kind of steps that will wake us up to say, hey, we need to do more. You know, in recent years beyond Pope Francis, it's been really difficult for a lot of us to find something good to say about the leadership of the Catholic Church. But I have to say, this is one instance where we must admire the bishops for their their prophetic voice, their willingness to confront critical global issues like the environment, like climate change, like the rights of the indigenous people. My hat's off to them for doing this. Yeah, I, I had the, exactly the same reaction, you know. Uh, you know, for the past 20, 30 years, it's been tough being a Catholic. Uh, but I'll tell you, I was proud to be a Catholic when I saw what the bishops were doing at this synod. Uh, they are truly speaking out on the most important moral issues of the 21st century. Uh, if we don't get, you know, climate change right, if we don't do something to save the environment right now, uh, it, it, it's the catastrophe that it will meet uh you know our children grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be just horrible they will look back on our generation and curse us they will look back on our generation the same way we look at the germans during the second world war oh they must have known about what was happening in the concentration camps they must have known what was happening in the death camps well we know what is happening to the environment. We have no excuse. And future generations are going to curse us and condemn us for what, they are what we are doing to them right now. Uh, I mean, you know, we talk about a refugee crisis today, and we do, we do have a refugee crisis today. But when Bangladesh is underwater, when most, you know, when all the low-lying islands in the in the Pacific and Atlantic are flooded. When, you know, the local, I mean, most cities are built near oceans and when they become flooded, I mean, when Manhattan becomes flooded, we are gonna have 
a refugee crisis that makes the current crisis look like, you know, a picnic. Uh, we're going to have millions of people. Millions of people are going to die, you know, as the as the climate changes. Uh, I mean, just imagine India. India is totally dependent on rivers that come from uh, the Himalayas, from the glaciers up in the Himalayas. If those glaciers melt and those rivers run dry, we will see millions of people in India die of thirst. We will see, and you know, and agriculture will uh, will suffer. So, uh, you know. It's almost impossible to exaggerate the cataclysmic change that is upon us. It's apocalyptic. Uh, and, you know, I'm frankly, I'm going to be dead before it happens. Uh, but uh, I feel guilty as hell for leaving uh, the, this earth to future generations. I share that. Let's move on to talk about another important topic that came up. Many, many prophetic women in the Amazon, like many other parts of the world, are responsible for keeping the church going there. If it weren't for women in many parts of the world, it wouldn't be happening. And yet we continue to have no voice. We continue to have no part in the decision-making of the church. So as a result of the, these women being really paid attention to, and listen to, I understand that the discussion of the permanent diaconate for women once again resurfaced. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, this is this is uh, one of the most critical issues uh, facing the earth, <laughs> facing the church. Uh, how do we use the great gifts of women? Uh, in the church, and 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 how, you know, and how do we recognize what they are already doing? I mean, there was one bishop, for example, who said that uh, he he had women theologians in his diocese, and if the pope gave you know gave permission, he'd ordain them deacons tomorrow. Uh, you know, and this was one of the issues that came up during the uh, the synod. Uh, there were lots of bishops who wanted to ordain women as deacons because, frankly, they're already doing the work of deacons in exactly. many of these communities. They are baptizing people, uh, children and, and adults. You know, they're baptizing them. Uh, they're presiding at weddings uh, and witnessing to weddings, uh, that are celebrated in these communities, you know, cause there's, there's no priest and lay people can do this. Lay people can baptize, lay people can, uh, preside at, uh, over weddings. Uh, this is, this is all quite legal in the Catholic church. And, but these are some of the things that deacons normally do. So, and you know, other things is like they, uh, they preach. They catechize. They 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 lead uh, scripture uh, services. Uh, all of these things are things that we think of traditional ministries of bishop of, uh, of excuse me of deacons. So uh, why not 
they're already doing these things. They're, they're doing a good job at these things. Why doesn't the church recognize it and ordain them as deacons? Uh, they're do, I, doing just- I think many just, of us were pleased to see the Pope indicate an openness to this in his closing remarks, that he is seems to be willing to reopen this whole subject of bringing women into the diaconate. I think this is, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I mean, frankly, this was not a priority for Francis. He has other priorities on his agenda. And I think he was ready to just let the, uh, uh, the papal commission that he had uh, appointed uh, to study the question of uh, women deacons. He was, you know, they'd issued their report, they'd been split uh, in their, uh, uh, and their analysis, and I think he was ready to just let it go. But, you know, when the, all these bishops from the Amazon say, uh, well, we would like to, you know, we want to go talk to this commission. We want to tell them about our experience and the experience of our women in the Amazon. Uh, so uh, Francis basically had to resurrect uh, this commission and, uh, and he also talked about adding uh, additional uh, people to it. I mean, it would be great to have some people from the Amazon, for example, on this commission. So uh, I think, you know, uh, it's, I think the issue has been raised up. I, I think Pope Francis, you know, he truly listens. And uh, now that the bishops of the Amazon have made such a big deal about it, I think it improves tremendously uh, the chances of a positive outcome. Father Tom Reese, thank you for your outstanding reporting of the Synod and for your continued work to bring the truth to us and support reformers, reformers worldwide in our efforts to bring about the needed changes in our church today. Thank you.